0: Dark. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Red River Podcast episode number 89. Uh today, you know, the podcast is basically all things music, movies, and pop culture. And I feel like you are basically you cover every box. Um your, your life is basically everything that we talk about. So um doing it doing a deep dive on on everything that you've done in your career is a very overwhelming, but also yeah. Yeah, right, but it it, but it also is like so cool for us to have you. So, Simon Boswell, thanks for doing the show.
1: Well, um, I'm very pleased to be here. We're very pleased to be here.
0: Cool. Um. So, anyway, let, let's kick it off by just saying, asking how you're doing now. As a live musician, Uh, things seem to be opening up now. Uh, I bet you're itching to play, right?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and already making plans to do so, though it's a little difficult <laughs> to know mm-hmm. exactly when what is going to open up and in what countries. So, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, strangely, you know, for someone who's spent the better part of my life in, in, a, in the recording studio, writing music, writing, and recording music, playing live is the thing I really enjoy doing. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. me too. Like I, I still play in a band and uh, like playing, like I love the writing. I hate recording. Uh, but I, I like the writing, the creative part of it. I love practicing and I love playing shows. Um, the actual recording part of it is, is the stuff that, you know, you're a musician, you know, you got to play the same thing over and over again until it sounds right and then you got to do the mix and then you basically listen to the same songs over and over again to make sure that everything's fine and two weeks after it's released, you hate it anyway.
1: That's, that's a pretty accurate summation, yeah, of my job. I somehow think sometimes I I would be better employed by the CIA really in terms of just repetition of things, uh, you know, or making people listen to some of my ugly cues until they, <laughs> until they confess.
0: Well, <laughs> it's funny that you, you mentioned that because I know you and I are both big James Bond fans.
1: Oh. So. I, I love James Bond. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So g- growing up, uh, you know, basically kind of where, you know i I would imagine james bond was from like growing up as a kid like let's just take that like how how did you come across james bond in those movies because to me i was a roger moore guy i I would assume you probably got in at sean connery
2: it's the era you came up in yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. i mean I, i i'm a little bit older maybe a fair
1: bit older than you guys um so yes i mean dr no was the first uh, film that I saw. Of course, though, though the books were around, I'm sure I didn't read the books first. Though you know, but um, yeah, I mean, Doctor No, Sean Connery, that was that was my first taste of the whole Bond experience. You know, and it's just it's it's such a British phenomenon, but it has obviously taken taken over in, in the rest of the world too. But yeah, I I um, I love them. I love all of all of them actually.
0: But just like, you know, when when your band has like, you know, like ACDC uh, goes from Bon Scott to Brian Johnson. Like when you're a kid and now you get Roger Moore, like how did you how does that make you feel? <laughs> well,
1: I, I I honestly I don't think I think I was probably not young enough. I'm not old enough to sort of be that invested in okay. being betrayed by the fact that Sean Connery was no longer Bond. Uh, it didn't affect me to that extent all know, right I so say, so, you know.
0: so it, it wasn't until timothy dalton took over is what you're saying basically <laughs> <laughs> i have met one bond actually i met oh no i met
1: two i, I met pierce brosnan okay uh, at a certain point it was it was funny actually you know just from do, from doing being a film composer you know i've i've been in studios and hanging around you know the film world quite a lot and I remember someone, it was one, of, one of my agents actually said, oh, there's this kid who, who really wants to come and kind of work for you for free. And it turned out to be someone like Barbara, Barbara Broccoli's grandson or nephew or something. Yeah. And uh, it so happened that that was the time when Pierce Brosnan was making GoldenEye. Okay. And he said to me, so, hey, come, come down the set, you know, come and meet everyone. So, and, and in fact, I took my son at that point who was 12, to meet Pierce Brosnan and, then you know, uh, everyone on the set. So that was kind of, kind of a cool experience. <laughs>
0: and and I mean, well. you got like, I'm, I'm sure like your kids probably think of you as like a cool dad because, uh, you know, you, you do have like a cool job, you know, you, you, you are, you know, when you're involved in the arts, man, and, and like music and movies are so, I mean, I, I, just for us, I mean, like we have a podcast where we talk about it, you know, we've played in bands, we're so entrenched in that life, you know, uh music and movies are basically everything. You take that away. And like, I, I don't even know what else I would do with my life. I would imagine it's the same with you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Brian, you <laughs> were yeah, so, as always. Yeah. No,
2: well, <laughs> as a youth, I mean, I mean, I'm sure we just talked about James Bond and, and when you got into cinema, like uh, what drew you into it? And were you always like, uh, kind of find yourself locked into the to the scores and did you get a taste for that early you know completely not actually it's it's very strange I mean
1: I had no interest or uh, ambition to be a film composer at all Mm
2: -hmm. I was
1: uh, looking back in retrospect I can see why I ended up doing that but you know I didn't I, I was not an expert on film scores I wasn't interested in them it happened to me by accident though I've always been a musician you know I mean I was a really horribly precocious kid on the pla, you know learning classical piano really obnoxiously good at it very young oh were, we're <laughs> you Ah, oh, so
0: you were you were doing that you were like yeah. so, so you started like super early playing the keys
1: I started at the age of five you know like learning classical piano by the time I was eight, I remember at a school concert and I you know i'd have wanted to punch me if I wasn't me
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> but because you know all the other kids were like stumbling through playing a bit of Beethoven or Mozart or something at the school concert. I had composed my own theme and performed it. In the style of Bach, then in the style of Chopin, and then in the style of Rachmaninoff, you're like a
2: fucking oh, wow. horrible.
1: You know, it was very. I was horribly good <laughs> at it very early on, but um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't until I was about twelve that when I saw Jimi Hendrix on TV that I realized. Do you know? I think I think guitars might be, might I think girls might like someone who plays a guitar
2: better
0: yeah and i know isn't
2: that how it always starts
0: always (laughs) and and i know i know uh basically Jimi hendrix uh is a very big deal in your life i think you've said that he was like your the most significant person in your musical journey um i mean you named your son after jimmy i did you know yeah so that way (laughs) so yeah exactly right um so (laughs) Uh, growing up where you grew up, which I'm sure the Beatles were a big deal. Like, so what was like the bridge from like the Beatles to then seeing someone like Jimi Hendrix?
1: Well, I guess it was you know you got to figure how old I was through through that. So when the Beatles first appeared, I would have been like seven or something, seven or eight, you know, and they were all cute and cuddly to begin <laughs> with. So. That Was it? And I remember collecting, you know, um, you know, bubblegum cards, which they had a Beatles bubblegum cards, you know, which you'd swap, you could swap ones, you had you know, doubles of, and uh, so so that was you know, but but then seeing Jimi Hendrix, and I think the first time I saw him was pro- probably the first time he was on TV in the UK on the Lulu show. You know, Lulu was pretty sort of middle of the road singer, but I remember him doing it, he was doing um. He's supposed to be doing purple haze i guess but he played a few chords of it at the intro and then he said something like i don't think he said oh fuck this but he said he couldn't really use like ah oh, res and he started playing sunshine you love the cream track yeah 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 and but i was thinking this is what is what you? you know this guy what is this guy he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck about anything you know yeah. but that was my first uh time of, really paid attention to Jimi Hendrix yeah
0: yeah to, to me it was like a, a big deal as well and like years later like you know uh I'm 43 so um I, it was like one of the first cassettes that I bought and I remember at the age of 10 I think I've told this story um there was a movie with Peter Weller um called Shakedown and Sam Elliott and in the trailer um they had Purple Haze and I was like 9 or 10 and I never heard Purple Haze up to that point. And I remember recording the commercial back then because that's all you could do. I'm like, what is this song? And I would listen to that part because like once you hear it, like I at that moment, I was just like, this is this is amazing, life changing. And I remember buying like the greatest hits cassette and and everything on there. And it's just it's amazing how generational uh, it just keeps going on. Like, you know, it's it's it's, it's am- right
1: it, it, it certainly does. In fact, you know, I I, I don't know I, if you checked out my Facebook page. You see that recently, I've just been posting kind of funny things about music. But I just posted this thing today, which has, um, well, it has a picture of the, the kid. Is it Josh? Whoever it is from from, um, you know, the one that says, "I see dead people."
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, Sixth
1: sense. Yeah, Fiction. yeah, exactly. that makes sense. Only this says, "I listen to dead people." <laughs> <You know>. and, <laughs> and then it has like Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon, you know, everyone's dead. <laughs> That's, yeah, what, yeah. that's, that's, that's
2: certainly where
0: I'm at with that. No, the well, list keeps going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the list does yeah, keep going. Um, and, and I know, like you know, so later in life, uh, Transatlantic Records was like a, a thing that you know, like you're a younger guy, you make a solo record, and and I was looking at the roster, and it's so funny. I see Billy Connolly. Yeah, and I, I remember growing up and watching like his HBO stand-up special. Yeah, and he would tell like this masturbation joke, and I would I would say it all the time. I thought it was the funniest masturbation joke. So, what do you remember about Transatlantic Records?
1: Well, Transatlantic Records, you know, he, here's the thing. You know, I I I got pretty good at the guitar pretty quickly too, but t- taught myself.
0: I heard I was, it. Uh, I I heard some of the solo uh, stuff, and it's like pretty pretty amazing. It's sort
1: of fast, you know, ragtimey finger picking stuff, and and that and Transatlantic the label. I knew nothing really i just this was not i didn't have a plan to be to do anything really i didn't know what i was going to do music or what but i was at college and um there was a a friend i met at college who had a thing called a tape recorder (laughs) you know like a reel-to-reel thing and he he said oh you know i should record some of your things and you should take them to a record company and i was like seriously you know what's a record company I was so I was so naive and didn't know I didn't know what I was doing. So that we ended up doing that and I made an appointment. I think I looked at the yellow pages under record companies, <laughs> just you know, transatlantic records was one of these. I had no idea anything about it. I made an appointment and took this reel to reel tape in, you know, of some of my playing. Yeah. And of course, in predictable style, they put it, you know, their tape machine was aligned differently from from the one I recorded on to what it had me plus what was on the other side of the tape playing backwards at the same time so you probably thought I was fucking nuts. What, what
0: was it that big 2 inch that 2 inch reel to reel no no
1: not 2 inch, just like quarter inch you know oh, okay 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 stuff, you okay. know okay. like a, your stereo yeah yeah stereo yeah, 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 yeah yeah but uh, rather like what happens in like in cheesy movies um along these lines you know it was a disaster that they couldn't make out what i was doing on the tape but i had my guitar with me so he says to me well you have your guitar why don't you play for us so you know i so that's what i did and i and it was just like so fortuitous and the the a and r guy said to me he said hello you know we're that's really good and we're making a, this double album of the best of british acoustic guitarists you know finger picking." They had Burt Yanch and various other, you know, uh, John Remmel who were very, pretty good in that sort of folk blues scene. And they, they asked me to do a couple of instrumentals on this sampler, essentially, of acoustic guitar music. Um, and mine sort of apparently went down the, well, as the most popular. So they offered me a record deal. I was still in my first year at college. I, was, I, was, I think I was still 17, maybe I just turned 18. And uh, suddenly I had a record deal, you know. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And, and like back, back then, I know what a record label would do in the 80s, 90s. And today, today, pretty, it's so different. But like back then, like what was the goal of the label? Uh, did they want you to tour or was just it more of like a product?
1: Uh, well, here's the thing. I think they spent more money on the sleeve than they did on recording <laughs> recording my stuff. You know, it sounds appalling. but I, yeah, I So I made this album. Uh, it's quite fortuitous, port, port, know, portentous is maybe the word he is. OK, I made this album based on a book I'd been reading called The Mind Parasites. It's by, by a, a sort of science fiction-y type writer called Colin Wilson which was very, also very based on H.P. Lovecraft, which is all strange because of the things it led me to later on in life, doing movies. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so the album is really quite embarrassing to listen to, I think, personally. But they did put me on tour with quite big bands. They put me on tour supporting a band called Camel, who were who, uh, sort of 70s, what would you call them, sort of prog rock band in a way um and and probably all these bands used to love just having a solo artist as a support act. they didn't have to have another fucking drum kit
0: on the stage yes yes Uh, yeah especially with with their (laughs) their their 20-piece drum set
1: yeah so so i so i spent a lot of time around that then sort of supporting all kinds of, of ridiculously inappropriate people like lou reed and soft machine and Dr Fielgen and things and having to confront some quite hostile audiences you know so it was it was quite an education for me in terms of you know not getting killed
0: yeah I mean what what was what was Lou Reed like back then i, I you know honestly I think
1: I only got like a cursory nod from him um, it's not like, a that's as good as you I can
2: expect. That, I think from him,
1: you know what? I've, heard, <laughs> actually, I've, I've, I've
0: heard stories and I think you got to be worse. <laughs> sure.
1: I've got a better story for you about John Cale down okay. you know, the okay. ground. Well, I sure. mean, skipping for a few years here, you know, when, when I, I had a band called advertising, you know, which was coinciding, if you like, with, with the punk, with punk really, um, so we weren't a punk band we were more sort of like a pop uh let's say art pop more in the style of the new york what was going in new york at that time like, like the Blondies. ramones
0: oh blondie not okay. the
1: ramones but i'd say blondie i mean we okay. toured with blondie okay. a lot because okay. mm-hmm. we were we were more of a kind of like a andy warhol inspired version of what pop should be rather than a um, thrashy guitars spitting at everybody to
0: okay thing. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah um anyway so there was a plan and we got signed to emi records and um there was a plan to have john cale produce us so they flew john cale over uh, from new york and he came straight from from the airport to where we were set up in a rehearsal studios and so he came in and we were you know you kind know, of shaking hands and he's a nice guy and blah 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 so um he said okay you know Place, Play some of the stuff that you want to do. So he sat down He sat down on the floor, and we're just set up. There's no audience. Obviously, this is just a rehearsal studio. Um, and he sits down like that and uh, leans back against the wall. And we start playing. The first time, Blam, blah, 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 blah. We could watch him. We were watching him as we were playing, you know, like really nervous, watching him. He's the only person in the room. And we can see him, and he's just flown over, you know, overnight on the plane. His eyes just started closing slowly <laughs> like that and his head fell forward by the end of the first number he was fast asleep mm. so <laughs> so I, we wow. start we finish the first number we start when we go what should we do Shall we do we another <laughs> one or we, he's asleep so we thought okay i don't want to do it. we'll go and have lunch we're gonna you went to a cafe around the corner <laughs> which we did we just left him there fast asleep <laughs> on the floor yeah And when we came
0: back, (laughs) he'd gone. That's
1: the last we ever
0: saw of him. That's amazing. Can you imagine that? Like you're you're (laughs) you're there and like this dude's like, I mean, by this time he already had that some of that resume, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine, especially like as a musician, even like when you're in a practice space as you're younger and some yeah. of your friends come in there, you're like a little bit, you play a little bit more aggressive and you're like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. You, you look for like their reaction. You're like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Like, and that's the reaction we got. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Blame out so on that the jet lag. Of, that was a bit of a blow. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah.
2: anyway.
0: well, there you go.
2: What, what was well, your
0: first? Can I? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to say, like, I, you know, in watching, uh, your, your newer act, the, the and, I believe, right? Um, some of your YouTube videos and you have such a, there's such a visual element too. It reminds me almost of of the early Pink Floyd shows when they had the, the, the screen behind them and some, and, and some of the visuals. Did you have like a visual element to your, to your band back then in the early days? Did you have a sense for that or was it just that came later?
1: Oh, only wearing, uh, you know, because we were sort of this pop art thing is what we were trying Mm -hmm. to do, so the only visual element would have been me wearing skin-tight pink trousers and a Starsky (laughs) and Hutch T-shirt. But no, is the answer. No, not at all. It was, you know, there was no... um, Well, you know, I don't think projectors have been invented (laughs) then in Uh terms of video. I mean, video Mm -hmm. was only, you know, just... About there on, on VHS, so no is the answer to that. Gotcha. And, you know,
0: and, yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah. so a, a, for for someone who grew up, you know, I think you were born in, in London, England. Um, when you come over, you said you, you toured with some uh, with Blondie. Like, what was what was the states like to you? What was the first impression? You know, Well, we through. didn't
1: tour. We toured in the UK and oh. in Europe with Blondie. Okay. So we were there right at the beginning, just as they were beginning to break, because I think they broke in England first. Okay. They 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 were number one with Denis Denis, which I think was their first single, maybe. I might not be wrong, that's it's the first one. But that had just gone to number one. So we were just supporting them, touring around the UK and a few dates in Holland and Germany and stuff. So that was it really so i so i uh, touring the states is something that has still eluded me i you know i have wow. played in new york and I've, been, and I've lived in los angeles and played there a bit but um i'm now planning
0: oh uh, yeah to that's right. let's, let's go <laughs> i'll be there yeah uh yeah. but and another another thing that's pretty uh, interesting uh that i wanted to touch on uh just to you know, lightly touch on back then. I hate to kind of focus on, on so early, but, you know, in 77, when all this was going on, um, you know, you feel like the youth movement and, and today the youth movement is hip hop. Back then it was that punk. So like, what, what did you feel it or was it something that you were kind of like uh, uh, n- not a, a aware of until later on? Or was it just like, yeah, this, this is our music?
1: no 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 this is totally something i was part of because you know at that time when uh, the band advertising when we were getting all that together you know, we were sharing rehearsal space with you know with the clash with uh, 999 with all of those punk punk bands that were starting out so we were completely aware of it in fact you know i saw the i saw the the sex pistols do a very, very early gig supporting Eddie and the Hot Rods at a club called the Marquis. And there was about 12 people there, I mean, you know. Wow. And, but it was quite shocking to behold. I, mean, I was like, fuck, that's, that's that's a bit much, actually. I was thinking, you know, that's, that's really... So we weren't sort of setting out to be punks or anything. It's just that we coincided with with that time i mean i i i'm still friends with you know a lot of the people glenn matlock from the pistols is you know i consider a friend and you know there's lots of people from all that time yeah you know banshees people that I, I still know
0: and 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 a song that that you know on your band camp so you have a band camp that people could go to and and uh, there was an ep that you put out so it's kind of like um just explain to people what would um uh was it blank records is
1: uh, you'd be flicker, records Oh, yeah. Flick. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. So
0: that's okay. Okay. I mean, like, I'll
1: just, I'll just backtrack a little bit to what, to, to, to what you were saying about, um, what my band, the And, looks like and stuff and what it is about. <laughs> I just explain, you know, that like, having been principally, though, I've been in bands and on that. I've been a film composer, which is what most people know me as, for like over thirty years. Um, and all over that time, I've been pondering, you know, how to do it live, you know, because film music is quite a particular thing because it's like playing with a film. So it's not the centre of attention. It can be really important to a movie. But so it's not the the main thing. You know, you've got big stars up on the screen and the sounds of gunfire and cars screeching around along with your music. So it's, you know, it's a collaborative thing being a film composer. But I've been pondering, you know, how do I do it to do my stuff live now? If you are Hans Zimmer or you are, you know, you've written the, written the music for Lord of the Rings or some huge franchise, you can probably go around the world sitting in concert halls with an orchestra, you know, conducting an orchestra or having someone else conduct it. It's a pretty dry experience, you know, and for one, OK, none of my movies has been like a massive Hit like that. I just haven't. I've done much more cult films and indie films, and sort of uh, at a much lower level. So I conceived of it as something at a lower level. So what I've done is put together a band, and it's quite sort of psychedelic in the way that we we are performing it, and the way that I'm rearranging some of the film music. But we do have a back projection, you know, of of uh, images from the different movies of the tracks that we're playing so it, in one sense it's what i would call revenge of the film composer because it's <laughs> i've taken like a whole movie and i'm gonna i edit it to fit my
0: piece of music oh that's great That that's that's right. that, so- that's, that's, you know, when, when you go see a band for sure, I, I, you know, even like in festivals, you know, sometimes you're in the back, it gets, it gets like, you know, like people talk and stuff, but I, I love, I was watching some of the videos that you did and that's why um I brought that up because uh, I think you mentioned the Sex Pistols. So when the song closed your eyes, like I was reading the lyrics and yeah. it's funny because, you know, it's like, uh, first of all, the song you took from one of my favorite movies so from blade runner right so so it just explain like the connection between blade runner jimmy hendrix and that's
1: okay that's okay uh, let me just just clarify a little bit i think you're talking about so this is very confusing right but there the, there is a an album i made called close close your eyes the album is called close your eyes there is a track on it called time to die uh, yeah which, which is i think the one you're referring to yep. um and that song, okay, is about people who famously died young, really. You know, there's this, they call it, you know, the, the 27 Club, these people that died when they were 27. Um, so my song is about people, uh, and kind of what a waste day is in a way, you know, the, it's kind of a bit romanticised uh, that all these people died young and, you know, die young, be a beautiful corpse kind of thing. So... The song is about that, but the, the phrase time to die, I heard in Blade Runner, it's the last words that the Rutger Hauer character, you know, character who's this replicant, as they call him, um, to the robot, it's the last thing he says in Blade Runner, is time to die, you know, and he's, he's, the machine is dead, he's dead. Um, but there's also, on Are You Experienced, the Jimi Hendrix album, you know, which I always used to listen to on head stereo, you know, this is the first, True stereo experience I ever heard on headphones, too. That album, you know, guitars sort of going, going around your head and all that kind of stuff it was very new back then in the 60s. Um, there's something that Jimi Hendrix whispers or says, kind of quite muffled, you're going to hear it on headphones. And he says something like, I don't got to die till it's time for me to die. That's just the words. So that's what this song is about. And um, on that album, I actually persuaded um, Obi-Wan Kenobi yes, um, you a.k.a. <laughs> you and McGregor to to do the rap which I had which is kind of a, it's it's not
0: exactly a rap it's sort of spoken word yes
1: I, I'll rec- I I I I'm very proud of the lyrics that I wrote for that I, li- I, I love
0: I love the lyrics on there yeah yeah You like it good yeah, yeah. good
1: I mean like, I can recite one verse to you if you want to it's nope. quite rude, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can be rude on this podcast, can't I?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so so
1: there's one verse which goes, so this is about people that died young. It's also it's a reply to the Who's song My Generation.
0: Oh, this where, I, I love this verse. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah right.
1: Yeah. Where they say where they say, you know, um what do they say in <laughs> my generation? They say, Hope I die before I get old. Okay, so so the verse I'm I'm thinking of goes. I don't want to be Sid Vicious, be a cunt, an OD. Or get it on like Mark Boland and wrap my mini around a tree. Don't want to take a jet and have some terrorist vomit. Or die like Jimi Hendrix and make a meal of my vomit. (laughs) Or Jim Morrison in the bath singing, this is the end. Or James Dean in a Porsche screaming, shit, here's a bend do want my wife to be like, caught me and find my brains on the floor, or be found hanging like a raincoat on the back of the door.
0: That's uh, Michael Hutchins. Michael Hutchins, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I read, I read, I read those lyrics. I actually wrote that the the Sid Vicious line down. Um so when you mentioned the Sex Pistols, that's what reminded me of it. Okay. And it's it's very much. Like when I read it, like I get it, like because I feel the same way. Like I've written songs about wanting to be alive. I, like I don't want to die. It's like if when it's my time to die, like just like you, you gotta find me to to tell me that because I'll be having a good time wherever you know.
1: And that's it. And so and then then later there's lines which go so fuck Pete Townsend of the song that they sung. <laughs> I don't want to die while I'm still young.
0: <laughs> yes, and that's uh, so you and McGregor too. Like I want to get into Shallow Grave because I love that yeah. movie, but. Um, real quick, you know, yep. our love of Rutger Hauer. I love yeah. Rutger Hauer. Yeah. Um, just growing up watching all his movies, wanted dead or alive I saw on the theaters, but also you did something for the movie Hobo with a shotgun, right? I did. I
1: did. Love. Yeah.
0: What a yeah, great, that's great movie.
1: That is a great movie. they so over the top. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I did, what, what we did was, Um, they asked me if they could use a song which actually I'd written for the very first film I ever did for a director called Dario Argento and that that film was called Phenomena and um, one of the songs I wrote for that um, is called The Naked and the Dead and they just love that song. So they asked if, if I could, you know, if I could do a, a remix of it and give it to them for a, a scene in Hobo with a shotgun. So I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a fantastic film. So yeah, I was very pleased. Yeah. about I,
0: that. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when I read but, that, I, I thought it was great.
2: Yeah. You mentioned, you know, how you you've done a lot of cult films. I mean, you've done some really legendary yeah. cult films. Yeah. I mean, hardware Santa Sangre and, and, uh, uh, I have too. to mention that I was just going to mention uh, one yeah, of my favorite yeah. <laughs> film series of all time, the demon series with, yeah. with yeah. Bava. and I wonder if you could speak on, um, and you just mentioned Argento when you got into uh, that Italian world of giallos and all that stuff and how yeah. that came to be.
0: And... Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, It's, it, as I said, you know, I didn't set out to be a film composer it just kind of happens to me, happened to me, but um, I, I had a certain point after the punk thing, you know, and the band's, that I had advertising, you know, it wasn't successful, and EMI Records, after one album and a couple of singles, dropped us. So, you know, I was sort of sat there thinking, what am I going to do? And various people encouraged me to, to produce other artists and become a record producer, you know? So I did that for quite a quite a while. Um, and one of the bands that I produced in the early 80s, a band called Livewire, who were kind of like a, a rock band, you know, in the mold of dire straits kind of you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: post-punk but you know more musicianly shall we say <laughs> anyway so i produced them produced a couple of albums with them and after the second album the guitarist uh, well he would left before we did the second album, and i did all the guitars on the album so the band asked me if i would go on tour a tour of italy with them that they were doing so i went with them and what whilst i was there when we were playing in rome someone came up to me from a record company, from RCA Records and asked me if I would produce uh, some Italian artists. You know, they, they principally had in those days and still maybe have a lot, mainly of sort of singer-songwriters, singers, not many bands, they don't have that many bands, bands. But anyway, so I, I produced a lot of Italian records and I was in Rome at the time and I'd been invited to a party where I met this guy called Dario Argento I had no idea who he was at all, nor could I understand a fucking word he was saying. I mean, <laughs> nor actually could my Italian friend. <laughs> it was, you know, um, but between you know, sort of in, between his my bad Italian and his bad English, you know, we chatted, and I don't know we had probably had quite a few glasses of wine at this point. And after about half an hour, I turned to my Italian friend, who spoke very good English actually, and I said. I'm not sure. I think he's just asked me to write music for his film. I'm not sure, though. <laughs> well, I think he did. You know, and this is I think he did too. I'm not sure either. But you know, so anyway, it turns out that he had, in fact, so he um, he and apparently had seen my my band live play in Rome a year or two before as well. Mm-hmm. So. That's what that's what happened, and he, he put me into the studio with a, the band that have done a lot of his best soundtracks, called Goblin. Goblin, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so you know, so I started. You know, my first week, sort of doing it, was hanging out around in, in their studio, basically doing stuff with them. But I, they were very stylistically different from the kind of stuff I was interested in. So I we ended up splitting up and going into separate studios, but that's how that happened, you
0: know. And um, was it so? This was like the oh yeah. So the phenomena was the, was the first thing. Yeah. And like, um, I, I I love I I love your story just because I feel like opportunity knocks and and you are there. You know what I'm saying? Like you're yeah. it's like it, you. You take the, the the most out of these opportunities. And I feel like, I mean, if there's a movie or a TV show here somewhere, I, and I can't wait to watch it. But you're, so in the very beginning, like, uh, do you just say, yes, I could score something and you figure, hey, I'm a musician. I could figure it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had no idea, really. I mean, obviously. I was not, you know, I would never really, I was aware of some film music, you know, like the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. Things like that. You heard, you go, that, that's pretty weird. That's pretty good. Cool. I like that. That's a, you know, but I wasn't one of these sort of nerds who was like, you know, I love the music from that film and this film and that, you know, I was just wasn't like that. So you're right. I took the job thinking like you, you were just saying, you know, this sort of good luck attack. John Lennon once said, you know, Life's, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. Yeah. And that's kind of really true. it just mm-hmm. that's what happened to me. And I, I, I grabbed it with both hands, and not least because it combined the two things which I hadn't really combined yet, which was learning classical piano and playing, you know, being inspired by Jimi Hendrix and then playing, you know, rock guitar. So I suddenly realised film music you know, they put me in just the studio on my own <laughs> to do the stuff. I could do anything I fucking wanted. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the scene that going on a piece of celluloid, 35 mil tape on a loop. You remember, this is pre video when it started happening. Um, so, I realized I could do some weird shit on the guitar. I can yeah. do some weird keyboard stuff. Yeah. I can make some really ugly sounds. You what, know,
0: What is the science uh, or or like, is it something that you just go as you, as you learn um, to watch a movie and not overplay? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a very good point because it took me a few movies to realize
1: this is not the same as being, you know, you it, being a pop star. This is not, or, you know, a singer or singer-songwriter, this is not you, the centre stage of this thing. There's actors doing their thing here, and there's a director who's telling a story. Someone's written a script, there's sound effects. There's a whole lot going on. And it took me a few movies to kind of not throw the... to stop throwing the kitchen sink at everything, you know, like, everything. Because... It, it's sort of what I did because I felt insecure. I didn't know what to do, and it took me a while to figure out that if you look at a movie as just like a big sandwich, then the music uh, in some scenes you know it's just a leaf of lettuce, yeah uh, in other scenes, it might be a bit of chicken <laughs> it kind of sounds a bit weird sounds sounds a bit more like Jodorowsky uh, but uh <laughs> with Cyril. but um you know that you're not you know, you don't need to do so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to do enough. You need to, you know, to make it interesting. And um yeah, so that's a very um good point to make. You know, it took me a while to back off a bit and be secure enough to not over fill it all with everything, you know.
0: And you get you get some sort of direction or or um yeah, some sort of direction from like an Argento who's pretty, you know, seasoned. Yeah, because the guy. guys you
2: worked with are some real visionaries. You know, oh, yeah. They must have real there, there are. ideas they want. There, you know?
1: there are, but you know, the really curious thing about it is that all of those guys didn't give me really any direction at all. I mean, uh, and I've realized over the course of done doing well over 100 movie soundtracks at this point, God, um, <laughs> that, you know, it's it's the... It's the insecure directors who want to try and control everything, you know, because they just don't know if what they've made is any good. I mean, the truth is nobody at the stage at which I write music knows if their film is any good. I've I I said, said this in many interviews. You know, they hire me at the moment of maximum paranoia, you know, when <laughs> literally they, they've, they you know, they've got the money, that which was like 80% of the the work, you know, then they've shot the film, you know, and done the script and all that sort of stuff. They're editing it by the time I get involved. And they just don't know if the film is any good. So I'm the first person who hasn't stood around in a film crew, you know, you know, sweating in the sun or getting wet in the rain, uh, freezing your ass off. Uh, I'm the first member of the audience in a way mm. to look at this thing. Um I give them some perspective on it. Now, I didn't dare tell
0: the truth to begin with. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, it's very, I just didn't. But um, I get, I completely get that. It's just like, it's not, yeah, it's just, you're there. Like, I wouldn't, I'd be like, yeah, like uh, you need me to do this score and my feelings. Yeah, and so I would just, you know,
1: come up, but they didn't interfere. I mean, uh, Argento really didn't. I mean, the the first thing I I ever wrote, you know, was a really cacophonous piece of nonsense uh <laughs> really <laughs> fucking horrible huh? you know full of screechy horrible sounds and be running the plectrum down the guitar strings and make you know really not hor- and i asked them oh can you get me a violin they said oh you play the violin i said no i don't play the violin uh i just made some horrible horrible scratchy sounds so <laughs> that that was for that works in horror that's the yeah. phenomena yeah, for so yeah. Stuff in there. Cool. And, I, and when i played it to argento you know I was really nervous, but I played it to him. When it stopped, he said, it's beautiful.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: so, so then, you know, I thought, oh, okay, film music. You can do what the fuck you like.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so it was like a, a very liberating moment for me. And the best directors, like I said, have left me well alone, including Jodorowsky. You know, if we step up onto Santa Sangre here, which yeah. was uh, three or four years after um, a Phenomena, you know, he he was somebody I had heard of. I mean, I had never heard of any of these Italian horror guys. Until, but Jodorowsky, when I was at college, I'd seen El Topo, like, in the early 1970s, you know. So I, I, I'd heard of Jodorowsky, knew who he was. So I was more nervous, in a way, of uh, being asked to do this, though really pleased, because I thought, you know, I know this guy, so he's really he's really strange, but, you know, it's kind of cool. So I, when I met him... But he was so accommodating. He, the only advice he gave me, you know, was when I was trying, trying to get some, some advice from him. And I am saying to him, you know, there's a scene in Santa Sangue, this, this is not going to, you know, it doesn't matter if, if you haven't seen it, but where one of the characters has her arms cut off by her <laughs> knife-throwing husband, you know, and there's blood spurting out of the shoulders, you know, and chickens on the floor. Licking up the blood and stuff—it's like, it's really weird. So I said to Alejandro, "You know, so do you want me to do something really horrible here?" You know, and he looked at me like I was a bit mad and said, "No, no, no. This is like a moment of ecstasy for her having her arms cut off." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, right, okay." But you know, yeah. and when you see the film, you'll understand. Pure artist,
0: pure artist. And, and what, what I, <laughs> what I love about all this conversation here. Uh, one, one of the last directors we had on was Tommy McLaughlin and uh, he was wearing a Jodorowsky t-shirt and yeah. I asked him what his favorite live set was that he saw, which was Jimi Hendrix. So it's like, what? I feel like oh. all of us, like we, we're all gravitated <laughs> towards each other cause we all yeah. love like the same stuff. So, but before we, we talk more about that, um, I did kind of like an Instagram deep dive on a couple of things and uh, there was a Wham connection. Uh, can can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, 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 well, okay, yeah. Well, okay. So
1: in the early '80s, um, you know, I was I was producing re- records and stuff. Became a record producer, um, but I got involved with a couple of guys who had a uh, had a company writing music for, for TV ads, commercials. Um, so I, I wrote the music for God, it must have been 150. Commercials. I hated this whole world. I really, really did. Uh, really hate it. But um, so one of the jobs I was asked to do um, for a commercial was for a um, a shampoo commercial, sort of a body. just like a you know, uh, and they wanted to me to remake Wham's "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" <laughs> uh, with. <laughs> The staggering lyrics, right? So the, the product was called Radox Shower Fresh.
0: Okay. Right? <laughs> so,
1: they, so some idiot, right, in the advertising agency, some copywriter, had rewritten the lyrics, right? And you know how the tune goes. Wake me up yep. before you go. know, it's quite snappy. No, no, no. Go in solo. So his lyrics were, wakes you up before you go, go. Radox Shower Fresh makes you feel right as rain
2: oh man and
1: i mean it's just nonsense you know it just it, it, you know anyone could tell you that doesn't scan that doesn't fit the tune
2: Yeah. so
1: they wouldn't have any of it so we had a whole succession of george michael soundalikes coming into the studio you know i pre- prepared the backing track like tongue twisting themselves into knots trying to sing this fucking lyric. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Cause you can't like when you're writing something, uh, a melody, like you know, a phrasing just isn't going to fit. Like you, like, you know, it's just not. So
1: yeah, and and then, the, the, then these other the idiots were in the studio with me. So so one of these poor <laughs> George Michael guys, you know, Sam likes is going, Ray Log shower the okay, okay, wakes you up before you go. Ray radio shower makes you feel right as right. And they go, no, 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 no. You've got to hear it's redox shower so, sort of radar, shower effect, and then you have run out of time. You know, you can't. It was just a nightmare. <laughs> you know? And we spent a whole day of this sort of torture before I think somebody checked back into the office and went, "Oh, oh, oh, really? Oh, oh, okay then. Oh, apparently George's publishing company wanted us to use the song." <laughs> yes so <you> know, <laughs> after
0: all, all that, of that. So after that's, uh, all that so good yeah i love yeah. it yeah
1: <laughs> so uh, that's the world of advertising yes
0: uh, but you know and and luckily enough like from there like the, the movie thing just kept going um santa sangre and and how do you meet um richard stanley
1: well richard thought i was italian because
2: <laughs> because boswellini
1: Bos- well yeah well actually yeah and what's weird is that the main guy in Goblin is called Claudio Simonetti by yeah. like Simonetti. Oh yeah. So, so a lot of people thought I was Claudio Simonetti and that was my Italian nom de plume. That would that would have to... been brilliant. Yeah so he contacted <laughs> Richard Stanley contacted this you got to said this was my for my first British film you know I was lived in London and Apart from Phenomena, the first film, all the other Italian movies, and there's about 15, 20 of them before I did a British film, you know, from 1985. I did did about
0: 20. With Lombardo Bava.
1: Yeah, Lombardo Bava and and Michele Suave, all these other.
0: um, Oh, yeah, Stage Fright. Stage Fright. I I I just recently saw Stage Fright a couple of years ago. It was one of those movies. That, you know, I listen, it, it, some movies just fall through the cracks. And, and thanks to uh, apps like Shudder, uh, yeah. they, they they reintroduce. Tubi. Yeah, Shudder and Tubi are, are just yeah. amazing. Uh, and I saw Stage Frightened because everyone's like, oh, you've never seen Stage Fright? And I'm like, Jesus, all right, I guess I'll watch Stage Fright. Yeah. So you worked on that film, so.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. But I was just like all those other ones I did in London. I didn't do them in, in Italy I would go to Rome and sit down and watch the film with a director and make a few notes, but you know, just then take back a VHS tape back to London. A VHS tape, which I might add, had no way of synchronizing with a a multi-track recording machine at that time. That's you know? right. Yeah. You know, so there's all these sort of ridiculous. So you'd have to, you'd have to be like winding the VHS machine back to get, get to the point where something, you know, just recording. It was nuts. Absolutely nuts! Um, I forget what point we were making here. Richard Stanton.
0: Richard Richard Stanley. Okay, so
1: he thought I was Italian. He called uh, Argento's office in Rome and said, "Could they put him in touch with, you know, me?" And they said, well, he lives in London, which is where he was filming Hardware. So he said, really? Oh, OK. And so that's how that happened. And and, and it's happened with lots of directors who are fans of Argento, basically. I mean, well, and, and Jodorowsky. Richard Stanley is one. Danny Boyle was another Argento oh, fan yeah. uh, when I was doing Shallow Grave. You know, this is why a lot of them contacted me because they were familiar with all of these directors who I basically had no idea
0: who they were. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love Shallow Grave, and I'm I'm, I'm going to actually bring that up. But I just wanted to get like your first impressions of, of Richard Stanley because uh, I think this was his first film, and uh, I mean, like, what did you think of Hardware when you first saw it?
1: Well, I, I,
0: I, I this what's interesting also about
1: Hardware is it's the first British film I was asked to do because I thought no one would ever see any of these films that I was doing in Italy. I mean. There's a whole extra strand to this as well that um, I, I, you know, because of the VHS rev- revolution oh, that was yeah. going on, you know, yeah, and everyone yeah. was watching these things. But I had no idea. I thought it was my little secret. I could just hmm. do this in a little side job. Like porn. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> By the way, I've also scored a thing called Pornography the Musical. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is a documentary musical with porn stars. Oh really? I'll, I'll wow. talk about that later or okay. another time. Yeah. Anyway, so um, all right, where am I? So where, what was I talking about? Oh hardware. Yeah, yeah.
0: When you first saw it. Because I mean like you
1: Yeah, you, so it, so it, they it, were filming it in London. So he contacted me whilst they were filming it, and he is probably uniquely the only director, there may be one other, who asked me if I would write a, some music that I and I hadn't seen anything, I'd read the script, but we could play to the cast whilst they were shooting the film. Wow. This is a very that's, rare phenomenon. That's interesting. It's really interesting because, you know, anyone that's been to a film will know, you know, it's, it, it's not exactly chaotic, but the it's pretty stressful. And the directors, you know, got people asking them a question every 10 seconds, you know, shall I put the light? where do you want to put the, you know, where do, where's the boom, you know, you know, all this sort of stuff. Where do you want me to stand? Do you? Want? So they don't usually want to think about music until, this is why they don't contact it, me until they finish shooting it usually and are in the cutting room editing the thing. So, but Richard had the sort of foresight to, to say, could, you know, can you give just give some atmosphere to the actors so they kind of know what we're doing here? You know, and I'd already it started, you know, recording some stuff for him um, whilst they were still shooting, that he was able to play to them, which is which is a really good idea, I think, you know. So that's that's um, that that's what happened with that. So but when when they finish cutting the film, then I go back and I can tweak things and and then be more inspired by the storyline and what has to develop through the film and what themes will come back and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then from from there, uh, I know you guys did uh Dust Devil. So, I mean, I guess and then you did something else after that, too. I feel like you. I've done a lot of stuff with Richard. With Richard, Most... right? Yeah, yeah. Like... Yeah. I yeah. got it. I love his last. Were you involved
2: movement. in the uh, do- Island of Doctor Moreau at all? Were you uh, well,
1: I wasn't, that? you know, and and uh, and uh, that was like rapidly turning into a nightmare. I I was mm. kind of in touch with Richard up to a point um, in Australia. I think we had one phone call, but it, he was clearly uh, under a lot of pressure. If you've seen yeah. That, that, yeah. Documentary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that documentary, documentary,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah <it's laughs> you fascinating.
1: Know? Um, but you know, I've worked on pr- practically everything Richard has done. Even the new, the like, color out of space. Well, no, there's a okay. there's a pl- pretty difficult story to tell about that. You know, um, I mean, I, I Richard and I conceived and have talked about color out of space for about t- six, seven, eight, ten years. Uh, you know, even pitched the idea at at um, Fantasia Festival in, in uh, Montreal. Wow.
0: Um,
1: together, unfortunately, the company that were making Spectrovision. I mean, who called Spectre Vision, who Were making color out of space. Decided that they didn't want Richard to work with anyone that he worked with before, mm. which was. In spite of that, you know, Richard wanted me to do it. That
0: doesn't even. Make he was that. kind that
1: of. He's kind of hijacked by them in a way, you know, um, and I'm really pleased for him that he's man- he managed to get something coherent out of it all. But you know, I was a bit pissed off obviously <laughs> you sure. know because i work worked with richard a lot, and we had done everything and you know and i supported him all the way through these difficult years he had of not making movies you know making documentary things sometimes you know and i would do i would do it for nothing for him so I, it was really kind of n- not very nice to have a film company
2: step in and say you two can't work together yeah, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. Because you see sense. those no. partnerships with, you know, with a no. Danny Elfman and a Tim Burton or whatever. Go figure. Go figure. You know,
1: I, you know I, I I have no explanation the, for it. The business. The business. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but we have plans to work again together. Um, that's good. He has a few issues he's dealing with at the moment, but um,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. There's. Uh, I really. I want to, uh Take a break from the movies for a second. I um I really like the the blink stuff. Like, can you just tell us about blink? Okay, yeah. Um, so it's kind
1: of, blink is is kind of art project you would call it. Um, uh, it how, how it came about was that I was sitting in a hotel room in Los Angeles, you know, a bit jet lagged, like John Cale. <laughs> And so, um, so I, was watch, I was watching the news, you know, and, um, you know, it's funny, like, you'll, you'll realise this, that the, the news programmes, when they come on, they always have a bit of music, you know, at the beginning, which either, especially in Britain, but either sounds like kind of pompous, fake orchestral music, signifying yeah, yeah. here comes the truth here's the truth coming for you. you know or it's like busy 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 music you know we're busy collecting the truth from around the world so i was watching this thing and then there was this music going on and i was on my laptop as well i was watching the tv and then i i realized there was something going on the tv but there was still music going on there was some like car chase going on down a motorway um with the police chasing somebody which was on the live news but somebody had left the fader up so the music was continuing underneath it. And I suddenly thought to myself, that's really interesting because, you know, what I do for a living is manipulate people with music, essentially, yeah. writing music yeah. for movies. Yeah. So what was happening here was music was being put accidentally under what oh. is supposed to be the truth, or you know, factual stuff going on on the news. So I thought it would be really interesting if I... Did a project where I scored the news uh, as if it was a movie. Hmm. So I actually edited. This is how Blink came about. I'll tell you. I'll just give you ten seconds more on this. No, so oh, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. I edited together my own version of the news. I went back to London and I I licensed, you know, famous bits of news footage: 9-11, um, Diana's funeral, you know, Princess Diana. Uh, The Berlin Wall coming down. And I I edited to get my own version of the news. And I scored the scenes with different music, but it was on a loop. And when it came around the second time, it had different music on it. So I was trying to kind of show, if you put music on the news, it's like propaganda. You can manipulate the way you feel about what's going on 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 screen. Because that's what I do for a living, is I manipulate people yeah. essentially so I had 9-11 and I was, I, met, I was showing this project to a guy who was the director of the of the ICA the Institute of Contemporary Arts in London um with a view to do to, he, I told I told him about it. he came down to my studio and I played him with it and the first thing up was 9-11 and it came around with different things so I scored 9-11 kind of how it looks on that classic footage you know with a jet coming in so I scored it like you know an action movie wow Uh, to begin with and then when it came around a second time I scored it like a really sad piece you know all these people dying sad it was a pretty cynical way to do this right and then when it came around again I scored it as a comedy now (laughs) admittedly this was only a year after it happened so that's a pretty insensitive thing to do but I was trying to show you know how powerful music is in manipulating what you rea- how you react to what you're seeing.
0: Nice. Um, it's, it's, but it's, people it's,
1: obviously it's, felt that was a little step too far, um, and he said, "Look, I don't. I think it's too close to such a tragedy having happened for you to put that on even as an art piece." So. Uh, I began to think to myself, well, "What, I'm looking at all this news footage, you know, what can I, what else can I do with it?" And and all the way through watching the, these 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 bits of news, I found these moments where people are being interviewed or whatever, where they're just looking at the camera, they're not saying anything, they're maybe being asked a question, and they just blink. You know, they, they're looking and they blink. So I began to isolate these moments of very famous people, political figures, pop stars, film stars just blinking, and I slowed them right now and found a way uh, through digital editing to make them loop invisibly. So they don't have they don't go from here to there and start again. They literally hang very slowly, like a portrait, almost like a photo, but it's moving. And then I scored, because I did it on a very big screen, the little movements in their faces. <laughs> there was a twitch or something, or whatever was going on. So, so the whole thing became this series of portraits of people scored with music as if their faces were like a story.
0: That's
1: and that's what Blink is. And I did it at the ICA in London. And then when I did it in Hong Kong, projected onto the side of the, the Cultural Institute there. So yeah, it's just an ongoing thing for me. The most recent one I've done was Trump, actually, three or four years ago.
2: Oh, um, somebody oh. who I do we do we, i don't do want me? to get into it i i i know I don't, do don't remind us yeah don't remind <laughs> us please um
0: <laughs> don't remind us please. we're sorry
2: yeah
0: <laughs> um but you know i what i love you know when we talk to people you know i love the influences that 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 people draw from and here you are watching tv and a mistake happens and you create something completely fresh from it and uh yeah. I mean that's that's if that's not art, I don't know what is. That's just amazing. Uh, no, so. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I'm I'm
1: very proud of that that whole thing. It's funny how I mean I did that. It's nearly 20 years since I first did those portraits, um, and technology has caught has really caught up. But it was quite fresh at that point to see a sort of slightly moving, very slowed down. You know, portrait of someone. So it's it was like extending the shutter speed of a camera from milliseconds to three or four seconds, essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah. They were
1: video portraits. I was inspired by Warhol, though. Of course, had done his own version of of portraits of people where you just leave the camera on them for about an hour or
0: something. I, rem- I remember watching Ministries video for Just One Fix, <laughs> mm, okay. and uh, there, no, actually no, it was uh, NWO, NWO, and they it was around the time of like maybe it was the Gulf War, and they would just have these images, and yes. this music was so like pummeling that I thought I was like yeah. I was like I'm having a George at George
2: Bush samples,
0: yeah yeah. yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. and um and also like Just One Fix, I remember because it had Timothy Leary, and I think you mentioned him. Because uh, you had a No, a, well,
2: William Burroughs was in that. Oh
0: that's one fixed. That's yeah. who it was. You see, I don't read, that's my problem. <laughs> that's all all authors look the same, but uh You were just trying to make a
2: link to Timothy Leary, who,
0: yeah. I, who right. I who
1: I have worked with. Yeah, yeah, well. for, exactly, Isn't for cool sure. Way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not many people could say, but I think you can. (laughs) Um, What what did you do with him exactly? I don't even know. Well,
1: this is a really weird thing. um, uh, When I was living in Los Angeles in the early 90s, um, my agent put me in touch with this um, young lady who wanted to be a pop star, but in fact was an astrophysicist. Um, And her kind of thesis, her project that she was doing. (laughs) That old story. (laughs) Oh, story, yes. um, she was was downloading sounds from outer space like the actual audio weird sounds like whooshes
0: and
1: bleeps and all kinds of stuff and so this coincides you know with the era where samplers were beginning to happen you know um where you could record a second or two or If you had enough RAM in your sampling machine, you know, up to 30 seconds of something, you know, and you could make samples, which you could then play on a keyboard. You know, this this by the early, by 1990, you know, you could could do that. So I made sort of various of her pop songs uh, into, you know, created out of these samples from deep space, from outer space. Um, And we used them in some songs. In the, and whilst this was going on, she, one day she came into the studio and she said, um, oh, I just met this guy. I met this guy called Timothy Leary. He's really interested in space. He's really interested in space. And, uh, you know, um, he's written a poem, which he, he, he says, you know, he would like to record him reciting the poem. And if we could put together a track. So that's what we did. Okay. And I put together oh, a track. Awesome. She wrote. She kind of wrote the track. I produced it. I sampled all the stuff. and made it. Made it happen. So, what uh, a great,
0: what was, a so- what a great credit. I mean, that is just such a like everything. <laughs> yeah. When I when I tell you like that, you know, we've talked to a lot of accomplished you're people. Frozen, you're frozen
2: on me. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, when, when I, I tell you, am I good?
2: I think he's still frozen. Still uh, frozen. You hear me, right? i could hear I you so sammy froze okay. up on that question oh, so
0: okay well so, uh, so like i said when it comes to like accomplishments um we've had on a lot of people and you know you're probably like the most accomplished person we've ever had on <laughs> oh, don't like, say that. i'm I just say, i mean like <laughs> i don't know when you look at like everything that you've done it's just like this this like you know it's, it's and, it's, and it's, not
2: even just what we've mentioned too and just i started it, in and stuff but uh talking about your credits and stuff that, that the vatican commissioned you right for, you did some work yeah. with the are they big argento yeah. fans too is they
1: <laughs> well this is the weird thing okay this is the <laughs> one of the weirder episodes in my career okay so i obviously spent a lot of time in italy producing you know some of their pop stars and writing music for a lot of italian films Come the end of the nineteen nineties, my friend, my Italian friend, who's the same guy was standing next to me when I first met Argento at this party, um, he, you know, he was carrying on working in, in the music business. But he he said, "Listen, Tom, I've had this idea. I was watching Pope John Paul II on his balcony, and he he started singing a Gregorian chant to the assembled, you know." Catholics below in St. Peter's Square. And uh, he said, wouldn't it be interesting to put his uh, Gregorian singing? And these are all apparently, I am not r- religious at all, let alone Catholic. Um, I'm quite scathingly against a lot of it. But anyway, so he he proposed this idea of going to the Vatican and asking them if we could put some of the singing um and indeed, the speeches of Pope John Paul II to music and make it a bit more contemporary than you might think. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and at the time, I was so busy I couldn't actually do that. First, and they did make an album, and I didn't do that album. But a couple of years after it, um, in the interim, Pope John Paul II died. But they were they were making before he died. They were making a video with him, um, uh, and the video was being made by one of. Italy's top pop promo makers. And I honestly can tell you, it looks like an ecstasy fueled rave video. <laughs> with with the Pope walking across pink clouds and fucking, you know, colours all over the place. It's just completely mental. So the first thing they did was to ask me <coughs> if I would write the music for this this video. So I said, yeah, okay, fine. You know, what style? They said, oh, we'll leave it up to you. We'll leave it up to you. So I, I... I did some orchestral music for it I did some trip hop mm-hmm. I did some you know like acoustic guitar stuff now th- I'll tell you one interest is I'll tell you this is a very interesting thing that happened the first thing that I had to do was they I had to set the Ten Commandments to music uh <laughs> right Being recited cited by Pope John Paul second
0: now no pressure
1: <laughs> no pressure first of all I had to kind of watch them thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I've done that one. Oh, I've done yeah. that. I haven't killed anyone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I haven't killed anyone. That's a good thing. Anyway, so so anyway, so the this is such a ridiculous story, but the way <laughs> the deal was being done, right, was that we were going to split split the publishing publishing, right? So that they will be the publisher and I will be the writer, the composer, mm-hmm. the music. And then of course, because there were God's lyrics on it or whatever you want to say. Um, so it was gonna be, it was gonna you know, it was gonna be 50-50, however, we did this. So it was gonna be, you know, they would have the lyrics off the lyric thing, lyric thing of the songs, as they effectively the songs, and I would have the music, and then we would split the publishing. Okay, so we would get 50-50. In the end, their lawyers turned around and said, listen, look, it's too complicated ladies Why don't you give us all the publishing and you take all the all of the writers' share. So now on, the, on all the registration sheets, when this is registered as copyright, it says, The Ten Commandments, Words and Music by Simon Boswell. <laughs> nice. So,
2: wow. I fucking you shafted shaf- God out of it. I own the, the copyright on print. The Ten
1: Commandments.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. If wow. only I could really monetize this one. Oh, I don't amazing. know how to do it. I can't, I can't wait to hashtag Vatican on this episode. <laughs> but um listen i i i actually you know i don't want to keep you too long i i i wanted to go um you know i think we covered what you're up to um there's one more movie that i did want to bring up actually before we we, we close up um what exactly did you do on abc's of death
1: okay um well i was uh okay abc's of death a friend of mine called jake west was uh, doing a segment of it, cool. he was doing uh, S for speed, um, and and we were shooting it in uh, California actually, and uh, so I was became very good friends with Jake, and I also helped put a bit of money into the production of it, and and essentially was a producer on it as well, but he, I I also wrote the music for it. Okay. So great. that's that's really so I'm sort of down as an
0: executive producer of ABC's of Death. Ah, I, uh, I I, I that, love it i mean i yeah. love the concept of that um you know so many uh directors really get to showcase their stuff both on um, both a uh, uh yeah. one and two so. <clears throat> um yeah. and that's true your your music uh you said you were booking shows i mean i don't know if there was anything else Do you have anything any plans on coming to the states
1: well yeah i'm trying to um together with andrew who i think andrew hawkins who you yeah. know yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're there's various things going on i probably shouldn't talk about them because he's, he's still planning them sure, uh, right. but um one of the main things is it would be 2022 to try and do a series of dates in, in america with, with my band um it's too early to say where they will be and and how this will come about but there there is a plan to do that
0: I would imagine yeah. California, Things are really New happening. York. Well, California yeah.
1: absolutely would be but be right there.
0: California, cool. New York, though. New York, don't forget us. That's
2: priority. Yeah, New
1: York. Yeah. I did play. I have done one gig in, in two gigs in New York actually, Mercury? a couple of years ago at the at the the New York Festival of Psychedelic Film and Music.
0: Okay.
2: Hmm.
1: There you go. That sounds pretty much covers what I do. Um, <laughs> so, uh, can I just say, just a, a little
0: plug? To, whatever. Just, no. If anyone's interested, Please. right? Yeah, you know, I, I, vari- I just don't want to take up your time. So, do whatever no, no, you want. No, no,
1: it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I say, you know, uh, various of these soundtracks that we're talking about, I have put out myself on, yep. on vinyl uh and cd and there's digital downloads too at Bandcamp. you yep. can get an awful lot more as well but if you go to my website if you find my website i do have a shop trying he said humbly trying to beg for cents and pennies yes. um the, you know if you want to buy
2: anything that's the, the got some is- great yeah. vinyl, hardware. vinyl on there, Santa yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah 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 so the so Santa Sangre hardware demons too they're they're all there for sale if anybody's interested so yeah. and, and, uh, and your tour
2: dates are up there on what uh, will be updated well on the dates well, will come,
1: come 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 right. when we try and do it i can't right. say right. now for all, all those people who might be italian horror fans there is a plan for me to do a gig with claudio simonetti's goblin Ooh. first time we will have been together since 1985 but that's that, fantastic that we're, we're trying we're planning a gig in london but if this idea works and we would obviously do separate sets, but we do some stuff together, especially as oh, he did cool. Demons One and I did Demons, Demons Two. two. Yeah. So we might mm. like do something around around that. And phenomena, of course, we did together too.
0: That would be cool. Have you ever played like uh cause I know like just recently or maybe in like the last few years out in Brooklyn over at Nighthawk, I think they, they were doing like uh Night of the Living Dead with like a uh, like an actual band. Did you ever play till right. to- to, to, to like, do a live score.
1: No, it's what I mean. I would do it. It's a, it's a hell of a lot of work. And the, and the problem I found with most of these older movies is it's impossible to get a version of the film with dialogue and effects, but without the music. So yeah. they generally just turn the whole yeah. sound down. And I just think it's, it, I'm not sure what that turns it into really I don't to know. just have music going through. So I haven't really done that. My version was to do these tracks of mine from the various <clears throat> different films. And by the way, I went then and filmed Jodorowsky and Richard Stanley and Dario Argento saying lines that I had written for them to say. So they appear on screen as virtual guests in our live show as well. So so the directors of these um, films are involved in the live show,
0: too. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's this, yeah. this great. I mean. Yeah, so we'll we'll check out the store. I'll put the links up and stuff, man. It's just yes. like I mean, what 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 a career you've had so far. I'm sure you have another fifty years of awesome shit. Uh, anytime you ever want to come back and and like you know if you got the tour dates or you want to like anything else that you ever want to talk about, I mean we have a lot. To- I, I I'd be really happy to. Yeah, I mean I, I I've,
1: I've had you know a long career doing lots of different stuff. There's 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 loads more I haven't told you yet
0: yes no no for sure so anytime like anytime you want to come back just and come I, back and and i know that it's like for me for me like i i, I always want to put focus on on the past you know that got you here but also focus on the future so hopefully we covered a lot of the stuff that you've done lately so. and let me just
1: say you know i've told you about my experience doing writing rewriting wham for yeah, yeah. A Shower <laughs> Fresh commercial. Yeah. i haven't yet next time i will tell you about me being asked to write a a theme for feminine hygiene products. Yes. Pampons.
0: Part 2, uh, here we go. Part two. Simon, Please, thank yes. you so much. We're going to put thank this out you. Monday. You are fucking awesome and I can't wait to talk to you again. Well, thank you yes. so much. I really
1: enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks guys. Thank you, Simon. See you again. Take care. Thank you. bye bye. Bye. Bye.
2: bye.